We assess that foreign actors will view the 2020 U.S. elections as an opportunity to advance their interests. Foreign actors? Anyone paying attention to the domestic actors? I'm worried about that. I got the feeling that something right. You should be too. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. I might be alone though. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Anyone there? Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountain on KKRN, and in Eureka on KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, in Cottage Grove on KSO, and in Eugene on KEPW. Out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, in Palinville, New York on WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, in Concord, New Hampshire's in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Goldendale, Washington's KVGD, and in Chile, Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, where I think I saw the windshield dropped to something like negative 50. Ow. We also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me. From bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining me today. No matter how chilly you may or may not be, as it is uh, blustery cold across much of the U.S. Blustery and blistering. It's very dangerous out there it for is. folks, so be careful, it please. It is, and we will talk about why in a little bit, a little bit later on, and the uh, latest Green News report. Also coming up, we have a lot to get to today. I've got follow-ups on several stories that we have been covering of late, including one out of Florida that we hit in detail on our previous broadcast yesterday. We've also got a gobsmacking story out of Iowa, where Republicans there have blatantly undermined the intent of the voters yet again in an election. And a couple of stories out of the state of Georgia that we've been covering for months since the midterm elections, uh, if not years prior to that. Marilyn Marks of Coalition for Good Governance will join us shortly for the latest update on these Georgia cases, including an incredible court ruling about a week or so ago on one of her legal challenges in the Peach State to one of the simply inexplicable reported results from the 2018 midterm elections. Yes, we are uh, not yet uh, looking uh, too well. I guess we're looking both forward and back at this point. I was well, going to say we we're not have to. <laughs> we're not on the 2020 beat yet, just yet, uh, at least not until 
We've settled so many of the messes still hanging over from uh, 2018. Uh, In somewhat related matters, the Democratic candidate who reportedly lost her race for governor in Georgia last November, the very popular Stacey Abrams, who would have been the nation's first African-American female governor, had she been able to overcome the worst voter suppression seen in the nation in Georgia since the uh, Jim Crow era, and had she been able to overcome the state's 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. In any event, she, Stacey Abrams, has been tapped to give the response to the State of the Union address next week. Now scheduled for February 5th uh, after being delayed during Donald Trump's record long federal government shutdown. And I guess since she appears to be pretty much the only Democratic uh, person in the entire country who is not running for president that we know of in 2020, I guess it's appropriate for her to be the one to give the response to the State of the Union. Sure. I mean, if you look at uh, what the response that the Republicans have had in the past, their presidential hopefuls tend to get skewered quite badly. for Don't put the uh, State of the Union response curse on any of our potential 2020 candidates. Maybe. Uh, Well, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I'm thinking uh, also don't put their thumb on the scale for any of our 2020 candidates. Uh, uh, potential candidates there. That also makes sense. Also coming up, uh, I mentioned in the uh, Green News report with Desi Doyen a little bit later, we will have some coverage of a few of those early Democratic 2020 presidential candidates who are now talking about their positions on what to do about climate change and whether they support a Green New Deal or not. But before we can get there, uh, on yesterday's program, I detailed the outrageous suspension by Florida's new Republican governor, Ron DeSantis, of the supervisor of elections in Palm Beach County, a woman by the name of Susan Booker. She is the elected supervisor of elections in Palm Beach County. She's held that post for about 10 years. Her suspension by the new Republican governor in Florida came on the heels of former Republican governor Rick Scott suspending another elected supervisor of elections. That would be in Broward County, woman by the name of Brenda Snipes. In the Broward case, though Snipes had had various problems over the years, to say the least, claims by then-Governor Scott and, yes, Donald Trump, that Florida's very close elections last year for governor and U.S. Senate and two other statewide offices claims that they were compromised by voter fraud that Snipes had allowed. That was simply bogus, just a a claim without any evidence whatsoever. Not that such evidence is needed for guys like Donald Trump and Rick Scott to claim voter fraud. Scott suspended her anyway, uh, Snipes, despite uh, the lack of evidence there. But in the Palm Beach County case that we talked about yesterday in detail, the new governor, DeSantis, claims that because... Palm Beach County's old uh, tabulation systems for elections, they they couldn't retabulate. They simply physically could not retabulate an unprecedented four statewide elections that were recounted in Florida last year in the five days that is allowed by Florida state law. The old machines they use in Palm Beach simply could not do it physically, even if they ran 24-7. And because of that, 
the new governor, DeSantis, says Booker is incompetent and she has to go. But here's the thing. Booker, unlike arguably uh, Snipes in Broward, is not incompetent. She is a very knowledgeable election official. She is well-respected by her peers. And in both cases, Broward and Palm Beach counties, these are two of the most Democratic-leaning areas of the state. And in both cases, the elected supervisor of elections has now been replaced by a Republican, appointed by a Republican governor, in advance of the 2020 presidential elections in what I regard, as does the Palm Beach Post editorial board, uh, as I shared with you yesterday, I regard this to be a blatantly partisan power grab by Republicans. Now, Booker had said last week that she planned to challenge this suspension uh, which uh, Congressman uh, Ted Deutsch, a Democrat, uh, he's been on our show, as has Booker. He's a U.S. House member from Palm Beach County. He decried this suspension. He called it a partisan decision. He told the Sun Sentinel in an interview that, quote, from the moment the polls closed after the midterms last November, the focus should have been on getting the vote right. And instead, senior officials from the governor's mansion to the Senate spun these conspiracy theories about what might have happened to try to cast doubt on the elections. And now the new governor, says Deutsch, uh, appears to be using the the doubt that was sown in order to take partisan action in order to replace a Democratic office holder. And I have to agree, that's exactly what uh, he did. They on Fox News, they you know made up this nonsense about uh, fraud happening in these Democratic strongholds of Palm Beach and Broward County. And uh, then the governor came in and said, yeah, there was fraud in Palm Beach and Broward County. I heard all about it. I'm going to suspend the elected supervisor of elections there. Michael Barnett, the Palm Beach County Republican chair, said that he had urged DeSantis, while DeSantis was still governor-elect, to suspend Booker. He said it would be problematic, to say the least, going into the 2020 election with her in charge of the supervisor's office. That, according to the Sun Sentinel, yeah, it would be problematic because Booker was a good elections official who fights like hell for her voters of any party. And unfortunately for Republicans, there happens to be a lot of Democrats in Palm Beach County, and that's the problem for them. By the way, the Palm Beach supervisor of elections, uh, as I noted, is an elected position. It is also not it is a nonpartisan, a nonpartisan position in Palm Beach. But now a registered Republican attorney has been handpicked by the state's new Republican governor for the job in advance of the 2020 election. As I also noted, Booker uh, last week had vowed to appeal this suspension and her attorney had advised her against speaking to the media. Otherwise, I would have had her on the show to talk about all of this. But that appeal uh, that she announced she wanted to make last week, that would have had to go- gone to the Florida State Senate, which is also Republican-controlled. So about an hour after we got off the air last night reporting on that story, that outrageous suspension, Susan Booker resigned as Palm Beach County's supervisor of elections, claiming that she was a victim of political agendas and that as a former Democratic legislator, she could not she could not get a fair hearing in the Republican controlled state Senate. Governor Ron DeSantis 
His suspension order was based largely on a summary that was compiled by the now former Secretary of State, Michael Ertel, who cited, quote, trust in our elections as a hallmark of the republic. Ertel, who Governor DeSantis had handpicked just uh, about two weeks ago, Ertel had accused Booker of, quote, combative incompetence. Well, Ertel left office himself last Thursday after photos surfaced showing him dressed in blackface and wearing a T-shirt that said Katrina victim on it at a uh, Halloween party back in 2005. So he's gone. But, uh, you know, after pretending he was concerned about trust in our elections, he's gone. Uh, But now Susan Booker is gone as well. Under Florida law, the governor can suspend an elected official for malfeasance, misfeasance, neglect of duty, habitual drunkenness, incompetence, or permanent inability to perform official duties. Now, none of that applied here to the popular Palm Beach supervisor who had been in office for a decade. But of course, Booker had the misfortune of being the elected supervisor of elections in one of the most Democratic-leaning counties in this closely divided swing state. Now, as I said, she's got the right to appeal uh, to a trial, but it's before the Florida Senate, which has sole authority here to permanently remove an official from public office. And she decided she couldn't do it because the Florida Senate is a Republican controlled body. As I said yesterday, she has been one of the most responsive and knowledgeable election officials I have dealt with over my 15 years or so now of covering elections. She sent me a statement this morning saying, after serving 18 years as a public servant for Palm Beach County, I submitted my official resignation as Palm Beach County Supervisor of Elections. I have reviewed my legal options, she said, with a well-respected, knowledgeable attorney. The process established in Florida law would require that I go before a hand-picked state Senate committee with the governor's lawyers as the prosecutors. She says this is my only option for due process. The law does not provide for guidelines or rules. Prior to my service as supervisor, I was a very vocal member of the House Minority Minority Party in Tallahassee. That'd be the Democrats. As such, I do not believe I can receive a fair hearing before a very partisan Senate. She says the she argues the laws and our Constitution need to be changed. Florida elected officials should not be afraid to express their views and stand for uh, stand strong for their constituents without fear of being removed from office through fabricated allegations which would not stand up in a court of law. She writes, there should be minimum standards for removal of elected officials by a governor so that political agendas are not the only reason. Where is the established threshold that allows a governor to circumvent the will of the voters. Well, apparently that uh, threshold is right there in California law that allows a governor to... Florida law. I'm sorry, what did I say? California. Oh, Florida, not yet in California anyway. But uh, that allows, uh, you know, a Florida governor to just basically ignore the will of the people. She says, currently, the process leaves it to the political will of the Senate rather than actual facts. I will work on language and consider my options for 2020 to change the laws. 
The political atmosphere in this state and in our country has changed so much that I no longer wish to be associated with these elected officials. That's not to say I will no longer participate in our democracy or stand up for what is right and just. But at this time, I believe my time is better spent as a concerned and involved citizen of our community. I appreciate the opportunity to serve and thank you for your support. So, uh, you know, we, we frequently frequently discuss on this show how important elections are, that elections matter big time. And in some cases, however, apparently they don't, at least in Susan Booker's case, where she was elected over and over again to represent voters in South Florida, but was thrown out of office anyway. The elections of the governor and the state legislature apparently matter as well. And in this case, the Republicans elected in Florida were seemingly able to overcome the will of the electorate and have now been able to pull off this power grab, this coup, as I see it, in order to oversee the next election in 2020 in two of the most Democratic parts of the swing state of Florida. Republicans will now be doing that. Republicans have now been installed in both of those cases. But that, of course, is not the only place where elect, uh, elected state Republican lawmakers are more than willing to ignore the will of the people and the intent of the voters. Let me take a quick break here and I'll come back to prove my point um, with an astonishing and maddening story uh, on almost exactly this out of Iowa and a few out of Georgia as well with my guest Marilyn Marks as we continue the fight over what happened and or didn't in the 2018 elections, even as the gaming of 2020 is already underway in too many parts of this country. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, this story is either ironic or totally predictable, depending on how you choose to look at it. The Republican-led House of Representatives in Iowa on Monday voted to reject 29 absentee mail ballots cast in a Northeast Iowa House district last November, handing the seat to a Republican who won by nine votes in the first contested election to go before the state legislature in 27 years. The 29 mailed absentee ballots in question were confirmed by a U.S. Postal Service scan of a barcode on the envelopes as having been sent to election officials on time. But House Republicans insist those barcodes are not allowed under state law to be used to validate ballots. 
Iowa law says mailed ballot, uh, mailed absentee ballots must be postmarked to confirm that they were mailed by the deadline, which is one day before an election. The 29 in-question ballots here had no postmark on them. The Postal Service, however, has acknowledged absentee ballots are not always postmarked. Legislators, realizing mail ballots are no longer postmarked in many cases, updated the law back in 2016 to allow a specific code called an intelligent mail barcode to be used to authenticate ballot timeliness if a postmark is missing. About 1,045 absentee ballots received by mail were rejected in the November election in Iowa because they were not postmarked or were, were received too late. That, according to Iowa Secretary of State Paul Pate's office uh, in a Freedom of Information Act request from the Associated Press. House Republicans in the state argued a postal routing barcode is not an intelligent mail barcode, whatever the difference is there, as defined in Iowa law, and therefore it cannot be used to validate ballots, and therefore the 29 votes must be rejected. Despite the other barcode, which says they were mailed and accepted by the Postal Service on time, and the fact that the margin in the race in favor of Republicans in this case was just nine votes. Incumbent Republican uh, Rep. Michael Bergen won by just nine votes out of more than 14,000 that were cast on November 6th last year, counting the 29 votes from Winnesheek County could have changed the outcome of the race. Democrat Kayla Kether filed an election challenge, which by law means that the House, the GOP-controlled House in this case up in Iowa, had to decide whether those ballots would be opened and counted. They decided to do neither. Go figure. Kether said lawmakers have the authority to interpret the law in a way that allows them to count the ballots of voters who did everything right. Voters. It's the voters who are getting screwed here. Never mind any of the candidates. The will of the voters is what is being uh, disregarded by these GOP lawmakers in Iowa. Kether said, quote, they are making a choice here about how to interpret the law and whether they will do so in a way that includes these 29 voters who want their votes to be counted or not. She said they can follow the rule of law and count these ballots. Nonetheless, the Iowa House voted 53-44 along party lines to reject the ballots and dismiss Kether's challenge and dismiss the will of the voters along with it, at least potentially because we don't know who those 29 voters who timely submitted absentee ballots actually wished to vote for. And the Republicans here chose to ignore the only evidence that postal barcodes in this case in order to not find out who those voters wanted to represent them. Kether said that she and some of the voters may file a lawsuit. Well, I hope so. But of course, that means they all now need to spend money to try and have what should be their vote, which should be counted for free, actually included in the in the tallies. Kether's attorney has said the inconsistent way of affirming votes in Iowa may present a constitutional equal protection challenge. Another county in the same House district counted 12 ballots with no postmark or barcode. The county election official has acknowledged that that was a mistake, but, well, oh, oops, you know, sorry, Democrats. 
Meanwhile, in a number of states around the country, lawmakers and election officials are moving to barcoded ballot systems, which use touchscreen computers to print out a version of the voters' choices, which can never be known to have been verified as accurate by the voter after the election. Of course, it doesn't much matter because these systems use the non-human-readable barcodes to tabulate votes, not the human-readable computer printouts on the computer-printed ballot summaries. We've discussed this issue a lot on this show, and frankly, we will continue to do so because it's one of those issues that I'm trying to raise the alarm about before it costs voters another election. As I promise you that it will. Los Angeles County, here the nation's largest voting jurisdiction where I happen to live and vote, is moving to one of these 100% unverifiable touchscreen ballot marking device systems, or BMDs, in advance of the 2020 presidential election. In recent weeks, several counties in uh, other states, the swing states of Ohio and Pennsylvania, have announced that they too are moving to similar systems as well. And if Republicans in Georgia stay on the course they're on right now, the entire state will be replacing its current 100% unverifiable touchscreen direct recording electronic, uh, so-called DRE system, with an all-new 100% unverifiable touchscreen ballot marking device, or BMD system, before 2020 as well. That, even though... Georgia's current DRE system, according to a legal challenge to the lieutenant governor's race from last November's midterms, that lawsuit charges that there was an inexplicably high undervote rate in the lieutenant governor's race and only on the lieutenant governor's race, not in the races above it or below it on the ballot and only on the touchscreen DRE systems, not on the hand marked paper ballot mail-in absentee uh, uh, systems. Now, there have been some updates in both of these disturbing issues out of Georgia, which we have been following closely on this show. Uh, Several uh, updates over the past week or so. We've been following both of these issues now for months. So I wanted to get up up to date on the latest court rulings uh, and moves by state officials in these two cases. For that, we're joined once again by the woman helping to lead the charge in court on both issues. That would be Marilyn Marks, longtime election integrity advocate and executive director of the Nonpartisan Coalition for Good Governance. Welcome back, Marilyn Marks. Thank you so much, Brad. I appreciate your having me. Uh, I want to start with your election contest. Before we get to w- with what where Georgia is going with their voting systems, uh, we're still working on the 2018 election around here. I know you are as well. <laughs> yes, we are. Uh, we are. And yeah. I, I wanted to go back to your story on Iowa for yeah. just a moment. I don't know how much we have shared with you on this, Brad, but... You know, we filed a lawsuit on uh, equal protection mm-hmm. on Georgia's absentee ballots, you know, back in the fall. Mm-hmm. We we won, at least temporarily, and had a lot of absentee ballots that had been rejected for similar silly reasons. We had them counted. Hundreds of ballots were counted, and that was great. Well, what do you know? The new Secretary of State has appealed the ruling. And so we are still fighting that out relating to last November. 
I guess they do not want the uh, federal constitutional rights to to uh, continue to protect the voters. It is amazing. So we've got the same issue. It, yeah, it is amazing uh, the the lengths to which elected officials, uh, you know, will go to keep from having the voters' votes actually counted. And, I mean, uh, Georgia is sort of the the poster boy for that. But, uh, listen, hopefully folks will remember how uh, then-Republican Secretary of State Brian Kemp oversaw his own election for governor as uh, while he was Secretary of State on those unverifiable uh, touchscreen systems that you got a favorable court ruling against even while pulling off what many called the worst voter suppression effort since the Jim Crow era in Georgia last November. According to the voting machines, it was a very narrow win for Brian Kemp against the popular Democrat Stacey Abrams last year in what would have been the first victory for an African-American female female governor in the nation. But, Marilyn, unless people watched carefully or heard about it on this show, they may not know about the completely inexplicable undervote in the lieutenant governor's race that your group has filed a legal contest to challenge. It's uh, The race was between Republican Jeff Duncan and Democrat Sarah Riggs um, Amico, which Duncan reportedly won by about three and a half points, according to the electronic systems in Georgia. So if you can first give me a very quick summary, if you can, about the the initial concerns that you and the and the, the plaintiffs here, which does not include Amico herself, by the way, what are the basic right. concerns you have in that lieutenant governor's race? Basically, there are about 127,000 votes that appear to be missing bread. And when I say that, that is if we look at traditional measures of how people vote as they go down ballot. Uh, the lieutenant governor's race, which is the second most important job in the state, it's a very powerful office, actually, mm-hmm. and in Georgia more than in most states, it was the second race on the ballot, second to the governor. And then, of course, we know that, that as, as people vote down ballot, the, the interest drops off a little bit. But in, in Georgia, the top 10 races this year statewide offices, mm-hmm. and, and it held a very high turnout rate for those races, mm-hmm. except for one, the second highest on the ballot, and somehow it's missing about 127,000 votes. It got less votes than anything on the statewide ballot. And when you say missing, uh, well, just to clarify, when you say missing, the ballots were actually counted. There's just no vote in that particular race, in the lieutenant governor's race, correct? At least there's no vote reported. And we're trying to get to the bottom of, um, was it even on all of the ballots? We, We have had testimony in court that that race was not even on some of the DRE machine screens. We know it was on others. So, yes, it appears that some people uh, did not have the opportunity to press the screen for their candidate in the lieutenant governor's race. And in other cases, we just do not know what happened in that Mm -hmm. that race was not supposedly voted. At least nothing was recorded that made it to the final tallies. It makes no sense because both candidates were 
they were not really controversial candidates. They were both very popular candidates. Mm -hmm. There would have been no, not much negative publicity. Uh, There would have been no reason for people to just walk away from that race. And when Um, I I cut you off a little bit, uh, you you had started to say that there was this huge drop-off, but only uh, only on this race, not on the lower races for agriculture Correct. commission or secretary's right. day only on right. this race and only on the machines and uh looking at the, the the chart here there was for this only for this race a huge drop off of like four percent compared to about one percent undervote for all of the other races right. and you so you say on the paper ballot the hand-marked paper absentee ballots also there was no such drop off no such undervote rate Right. It was just kind of your normal, basically slightly less than governor. And Brad, it also, this was true for the provisional ballots that were cast in the polling place. Paper ballots in the polling place also reflected normal drop-off rates, no big dip. Um, and so, you know, this tells us it's not because there was some big difference in the way people voted at home when they were sitting there at their mm-hmm. on their kitchen table mm-hmm. versus voting in the polling place because the people who were voting provisional paper ballots voted just like the people at home in their mail-in ballots. So it is a paper versus machine issue. It's now, when, when you say there, there's like 4%, that is an average across the state. Mm-hmm. As we begin to look at some precincts mm-hmm. and tease this apart by precincts, we are seeing some precincts that had like 11 and 12% drop-off rate, but just for that race. You know, people, there were people who would say, oh, they just wanted to come vote for Stacey. They voted for Stacey, cast their ballot, and left. No, that's not what the data is showing. We're, we're showing precinct after precinct where it's just a, a, a super spike down and then back. Excuse me. Go ahead. Yeah, no, because they would have. Yeah, they they if if that was the case, if they only wanted to vote for Stacey Abrams, then we'd see similar undervote rates uh, on on all of these races. But we don't even in these precincts. So it seems Maryland to be very clearly an issue of some sort with those machines. Now, what that issue is, whether it's a, a, a programming error or someone gaming the system, I don't think we know, but it seems it clearly has to do with that those machines in some fashion. And yet, right. about 10 days ago, because we talked to you about this case, I think, before the end of the year, uh, but now 10 days ago, your contest was dismissed by a Superior Court judge in Cobb County. This is Judge Adele Grubb. She declared that uh, the plaintiffs did not prove any specific issues that would alter the outcome. She said, uh, according to the Daily Report, which is a law site in Atlanta, which uh, did, an I thought, an excellent job reporting on this, she said that there was, quote, absolutely nothing to show that votes were cast illegally or that legal votes were rejected and said there is a legal presumption that election returns are valid. The plaintiff has the burden of showing irregularities or illegalities sufficient to change or place in doubt results of the election. Your response to Judge Grubbs, Marilyn? <laughs> yes, it is our burden, but it is also our right to get discovery. And the judge denied us all discovery. Uh, Initially, she ordered that we could observe and examine, have our forensic examiners look at the internal memory 
of a group of machines that, you know, were going to, I think, give us a reasonably small but fair sample. I think we would have found exactly what had uh, what the cause of this was. The well, when we showed up in Fulton County yeah. with our experts, we were told, oh, no, 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 you're not seeing anything but, but some old archive files. We are not showing you the internal memory of the machine. And um, she refused to force them to do it and forced us to go to trial without the first shred of discovery, which is our legal right to have. She also denied our right to a jury trial. So the, the state and the court has nailed the doors shut to make sure that uh, we don't get to, to find out what is behind this clear machine misprogramming defect malfunction, whatever it is. There, therefore, we have now filed a notice of appeal. The Supreme Court of Georgia will be hearing the case, Fred. I, 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 I was struck by this, reading the, the Daily Report on this, that the judge allowed uh, what they describe as limited discovery. You got just about one week before the trial uh, to sort of examine the machines, but the Secretary of State put in place some sort of protocol that drastically limited the inspections. And one of your uh, experts, Matthew uh, Bernard of the University of Michigan, Mm -hmm. he said Mm -hmm. in his affidavit that the protocols that the Secretary of State was demanding would have actually altered the memory (laughs) and the internal data that he wanted to look at. And so you guys didn't want to inspect the machines under those protocols because it would have thrown off the very material that you were hoping to look at. So the only way you would be allowed to look at it is if you disturbed the evidence that you wanted to examine. (laughs) Exactly right. And we had told uh, Fulton County a week ahead of time we shared with them the proper protocols and said, you need to make an image first. We will come and watch that, and then we will look at the image. We are no way going to mess with the machines until there is a, you know, an absolutely preserved image made. They refused to do it and, and you know, kept tempting us to, if we want to play with the machines, and they weren't going to let us see very much, they were just going to let us look at a few things on the screen, that if we wanted to play with the machines, then, you know, um, go ahead. Um, but, uh, but we couldn't do anything more than see what was on the screen. As you know, Brad, that wasn't going to tell us anything about where a programming problem no. was. It was all a farce and a game on their part to make sure that we did not get access to where the programming errors are. This but is- we are not giving up on that. I'm glad because this is this is nuts. I mean, this is nuts. And of course, it's been a a catch 22 for years uh, with these systems that if you want to challenge them, if you want to challenge a race under them, you have to have the evidence to show an election has been you know, flipped in some fashion. But in order to get any of that evidence, you have to examine the machines and then they don't let you examine the machines. It's it's nuts. And I'm, I'm worried that the new system that is coming into Georgia is going to be no better. Before I get to that, just why didn't uh, Sarah Riggs Amico, the uh, Democratic lieutenant governor uh, candidate in this case, why didn't she join this particular challenge? Has, has she been supportive of your, of your efforts here, Marilyn? She has indeed. And in fact, her husband has come to give presentations on their data analysis um, They have been very supportive, but um, Sarah wanted to depoliticize this as much as possible in terms of 
She does not want this to be a partisan issue. She wants to see us get to the bottom of what really happened. And she was fearful that if she herself was a plaintiff, there would be too much uh, focus on partisanship here. She knows that our group is a nonpartisan group. The plaintiffs are actually made up of libertarian, a Democrat, unaffiliated. So um, she, she felt like it was better for the voters themselves to carry this lawsuit. And what are the chances? So, um, we will. <laughs> what, what are the chances of uh, now, I guess you say you, you, you have uh, filed an appeal or a notice of an appeal to the state Supreme Court? Is uh, How does That's that right. work? And what are the chances that they will actually um, even hear this case, much less uh, over overrule the uh, the lower court judge? Okay, well, we feel, we feel certain that they will hear the case. The way it works in Georgia, and this is common in actually most states, Election contests have to be tried so quickly to make sure that the government doesn't stay in limbo, of mm-hmm. course, mm-hmm. that um, generally the Court of Appeals is not involved, and you get an automatic appeal to the state Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. So the Supreme Court will soon be docketing the case, and at that point we will ask for expedited treatment. And the, so the Supreme Court would certainly be expected to hear the case, as they have in many others before, and we will be showing them evidence that... It is standard for the um, uh, for an election contest to be provided with a jury trial if they want it, or also uh, with discovery. We have plenty of old cases showing lots of depositions and experts, and um, so we we feel confident that they will give us uh, they will reverse the lower court and uh, give us the opportunity to have discovery. Um, I also think as the new voting system that you're talking about is more and more in the news, mm-hmm. that um, the, there's going to be an understanding in the community that we better get to the bottom of what is going on that is permitting this kind of nonsense with um, unauditable voting systems. Yeah. Um, and because they are, as you pointed out, just about to buy another one. Yeah, it I... just looks like a, a nice shiny Fisher-Price toy safer looking than the old ones. Well, and that's that's the problem. And, you know, because we can talk about this lieutenant governor's race and everything that uh, you guys and and voters and so forth have to go through. But, you know, the deal is it's a done deal. By and large, the uh, the Republican candidate has been seated as lieutenant governor. We can't keep fighting these things after the problem happens, which is why I've been trying to stay on top of where Georgia is going and where my own home county of L.A county is going uh counties in pennsylvania ohio texas all before the uh uh before the 2020 presidential election because after the election as you can see it's really hard to challenge an election so uh, to, to that point in in georgia they have a new Republican secretary of state, a guy by the name of Brad Raffensperger. He's uh, s- serving under the new Republican governor, Brian Kemp, who was the previous secretary of state. They are both, it seems, huge supporters of these uh, new 100 percent unverifiable ballot marking device computers that print out barcoded versions of the va- ballots that uh, that voters cannot read to make sure that they reflect their uh, their selections. We've discussed with you and Georgia Tech computer voting system expert uh, Richard DeMillo and others on this show the fact that Kemp had set up a commission to determine 
what new system they should use. Should they use one of these barcoded ballot systems or a hand-marked paper ballot system? And now, according to AP last week, uh, Raffensperger, the new Secretary of State, asked lawmakers for $150 million to replace the state's outdated systems. In doing so, he all but closed the door on hand-marked paper ballot systems that experts say is the cheapest and the most secure. So is that now a done deal, Marilyn? Heavens, no. It is not going to be a done deal, as far as I'm concerned, until the day that they plug those things in, which I hope is a long time from now. Um, So so Georgia voters who are interested in this should go Wednesday at 2 o'clock downtown to the Coverdale building. The Georgia Democrats um, are putting on a panel discussion, uh, having a hearing, actually. Lawmakers will be there. Voting system vendors will be there. And the idea is to point out to the lawmakers why what Raffensperger and Kemp and um, some of the Republican members want is just a fancier, more expensive version of what they have now, an unverifiable system. So that's one step we can make in the fight. And then Georgia voters need to be showing up at the legislature. I will tell you that your listeners last year from across the nation, Brad, really helped kill the bill that they tried to do this last year. There were hundreds and hundreds of your listeners, not even from Georgia, who wrote letters, wrote emails, sent text messages to the Georgia legislature, and we were able to kill this barcode bill at 11.45 at night yeah. when the session ended at midnight. So they can help us when, when, the, when the bills come up. They can help us um, do that again. And then, um, you know me, when we can't make it happen any other way, I'll ask the court um, for, uh, mm-hmm. for some help here. Because I, well, I, the last thing in the world I need is one more lawsuit. Right. You know, I kind of look forward uh, to the day to file a lawsuit to enjoin the use of these machines. There is just um, no reason that such machines should be legal in this country, given what we know now about the dangers of electronic voting. So that's uh, Wednesday, January 30, if you happen to be in, in Fulton County. But as far as I can tell, that, that uh, forum you're talking about, but as far as I can tell, Marilyn, to a person, every single computer and voting system expert, other than voting machine company lobbyists or elections officials, but every single one of them, correct me if I'm wrong, they virtually begged... That uh, commission that was set up by Brian Kemp and the new Secretary of State, Raffensperger, to go to hand-marked paper ballots. Am I right about that? And if so, what is the reason that they, why don't they pay attention to these experts or to Georgia (laughs) voters here? Well, there's just too much money involved, Brad. The hand-marked paper ballot system would cost about $30 million. The, um, uh, the, new electronic voting system mm-hmm. would cost just for purchasing at least $150 million, and then the amount that it would cost to install the thing is not even being talked about, much less the ongoing operating cost. There's too much money involved, and therefore a lot of people are not looking at what's best for, for the state. Um, I'll just say it that way. Yeah. <laughs> too many people have probably received too many favors. 
And too few of us are out here yelling and screaming about it. Uh, you know, like I said, similar systems come into Ohio and Pennsylvania and Georgia, L.A. and Texas and elsewhere. We need people to pay attention. If 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 it's going to be a touchscreen that prints out your ballot, they'll call. They'll tell you, oh, you got a paper ballot. No, it's not a paper ballot. It's a <laughs> summary. It's not a hand marked paper ballot and we need folks all over the country to pay attention to what their counties are doing it seems like you and me and 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 some of these uh, voting system experts uh, Marilyn are screaming about it but the election officials and the voting machine companies are not listening and they are simply moving ahead as planned before the 2020 presidential election Absolutely. And, and, Brad, I think that, unfortunately, for some of the decision makers, you know, having an unauditable system is a feature, not a bug. Yep. Just ask those and, folks up in <laughs> Iowa, man, who, you know, they don't have to look at those ballots at all. They will take any any reason, right. they, excuse they can to not count ballots, to not count them the way that the uh, the public wishes their votes to be counted. Right. And um, so, uh, yes, it, there, there are only a handful of us now that are, that are screaming about this, but I think that people are catching on, and they, uh, in Georgia at least, are, one of our biggest challenges is to get the voters who are pushing for paper ballots mm-hmm. to understand that they should not be believing the officials when they go, oh, yes, this touchscreen produces a paper ballot. When, as you say, it's not a paper ballot at all. It is a summary card that has to be verified by the voter. And the voter, the average voter, and I'm certainly in the class of the average voter, I don't have a photographic memory. Only someone with a photographic memory can verify their ballot enough to to then have it considered to be a an appropriate source document for an audit. And of course after it can't be audited. No, you can't be audited because you don't know if it actually reflects voter intent. And after an election, we can't even know if the guy with the uh, photographic memory actually got it right or not. We are back to 100 percent. Uh, faith-based voting with these systems. Uh, Marilyn, I got to get out, but I want to recommend, I can't recommend more strongly that people, if you're on Twitter, uh, that you sign up to Marilyn's uh, Twitter feed. She is Marilyn R. Marks, that's M-A-R-K-S, one. That's Marilyn R. Marks one. She'll give you good information. She will link you to uh, important things you need to know about. Uh, obviously, she's uh, you know helping organize in uh, in Georgia. But this is a problem everywhere, and she will inform you about the problems with these systems. Also, I would urge you to stop by coalitionforgoodgovernance.org. That's Marilyn's uh, organization. And they need support. They need help to bring these lawsuits everywhere around the country. We need more lawsuits like this, Marilyn. Uh, I wish we could afford to get you everywhere. Yes, please. We need it. Uh, I got to get out. Marilyn Marks uh, of Coalition for Good Governance. Uh, You're awesome. Thank you. And I suspect we'll be talking to you again soon, hopefully with good news. I look forward to it. (laughs) Hopefully, Brad. We'll we'll report back soon. Thank you. Thanks, Marilyn. Good luck. Okay, running really late. Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast.
Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Okay. No time for chit-chat, Desi Doyen. You nope. got the Green News queued up? Yep. Let's get to it, our latest Green News report. We're all going to be feeling it. It's the dreaded polar vortex. Bracing for an Arctic blast across America. And yes, it is linked to global warming. Hundreds dead after mining waste dam collapse in Brazil. Trump's government shutdown is over for now, but some damage is irreversible. Plus, we're talking about trying to put together a Green New Deal. Anybody in favor of that? I support a Green New Deal. 2020 Democratic presidential candidates are pushing for action on climate change. All of that action and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Wind chill alerts right now. 20 to 60 below for at least 20 million people stretching from the Dakotas all the way into Pennsylvania. Yay, global warming is over. Just trying to save Fox News the trouble. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, ridiculously cold temperatures across the U.S. this week. You know Fox News is going to be on it. Oh, you know they will be. What global warming? Where's Al Gore now? That's what they do. (laughs) Yes, it is. But first, want to go down to Brazil, where hundreds of people are still missing in the southeastern part of the country after a dam holding back toxic mine tailings waste burst on Saturday, triggering a deadly mudslide that inundated a nearby village, killing at least 65 people as of airtime. The same mining company was also at fault in another deadly mine dam disaster four years ago that destroyed a different Brazilian town. The risk of such dam collapses is the reason why, up in Alaska, a majority of residents oppose the massive proposed pebble mine in the Bristol Bay watershed. Well, those dams only collapse in other countries, not here in the great U.S. of A. Here in the great U.S. of A, the Midwest and the East Coast are bracing for a dangerous blast of Arctic air called the polar vortex, caused when the polar jet stream spills out of the Arctic like a freezer door left open. The National Weather Service warned that the intensity of the extreme cold is, quote, life-threatening, with temperatures 30 to 40 degrees below normal. Mm. And yes, if it seems like these polar freezes are happening more often, you're right, they are. A growing body of climate research links these more frequent polar vortex breakdowns to man-made global warming, which is altering the jet stream and weather patterns. So warming is caused by global warming 
And cold is caused by global warming. Extremes are caused by climate change. Well said. The longest ever federal government shutdown is over, for now, and may cost the U.S. economy as much as $11 billion in lost economic activity, according to the Congressional Budget Office on Monday. But it also led to tangible, irreversible damage. Some scientists were forced to abandon research and data gathering because the National Science Foundation could not make timely research grants. Fire crews missed their window for training in conducting controlled burns to prevent wildfires. The Trump administration's decision to leave national parks open and unstaffed resulted in visitors damaging park assets. New assessments this week show some of the impacts are irreversible and will not be restored. In the Florida Everglades, herons and other birds were poached by thieves. Mm. In the West, ancient rock carvings were defaced, and off-roaders destroyed fragile desert soils and ancient trees, which ecology experts say will take literally centuries to recover. Mm. And Trump is threatening to shut it all down all over again on February 15th. He's got a lot more damage to do. But there is some good news. The 2020 presidential campaign is underway. That's good news? Whether you like it or not, it's underway. And the Democratic candidates, for the first time, are putting climate change front and center in their campaigns. California's Democratic Senator Kamala Harris in a CNN town hall in Iowa on Monday endorsed the as-yet-undefined Green New Deal to combat climate change. I support a Green New Deal, and I will tell you why. Climate change is an existential threat to us, and we have got to deal with the reality of it. And in a speech at Columbia College in New Jersey over the weekend, Democratic presidential candidate Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts called climate action a moral and economic imperative and proposed specific policy goals for a potential Green New Deal. We stop subsidizing oil companies. And how about we make real investments not only in green energy, but in the infrastructure we need to develop the real resilience to the changes that are coming our way. Right? The question now is, will the corporate media let Democrats' climate policy interrupt their horse race coverage? <laughs> Nothing interrupts that. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, and there were many, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, or Google Play. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Yeah, we got to run. My yes. thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, to my guest today, Marilyn Marks of the Coalition for Good Governance, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. And my thanks to those who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us celebrate 15 years of bradblog.com. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.